Make some noise, living word. Let's go. Let's go. Make some noise. Y'all are in the building today. Awesome, awesome. So honored and privileged to be with you guys once again. Um, you know, in constant connection with your pastor, Doug, and he's always telling me of the amazing things that God's doing through your church. So, so excited to be with you again. Uh, before we begin, I just invite you right now just to acknowledge the presence of God with me by bowing your head. I just want to pray as we transition into the next portion of our service. So God, we just thank you. We thank you that you're God and we're not. And right now in this moment, we just acknowledge your presence, God. We ask Holy Spirit that you speak, you move, you open our hearts, our eyes, our ears to be receptive to what you want to speak and what you want to do today. God, we also take this moment, if there's any heaviness or any concern or worry that we came in with, we just take this moment to lay it at your feet, God, right now. We extend it to you, Lord. And we just thank you, God, that we have an opportunity to do that together in a community of faith, bearing one another's burdens and laying them before you. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, for being with us. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. 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 Hey, I'm going to start today off with a pretty simple question, all right? It's a, it's a very simple question. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if this question applies to you. All right, you guys ready? All right, here we go. How many of you want to be happy by show of hands? If your hand is not raised, the exit is right there. No, I'm just kidding, right? Everybody wants to be happy. So what I want to do right now is just take an honest inventory. Right? I want to take like 10 seconds for each one of us just to think about what really makes you happy. Right? Now, I know we're in church today, so we have some pretty Christian ideas of what makes us happy. Like, I just want us to be really honest. Take some time to be absolutely honest with yourself of what makes you happy. Now, some of us, it's very simple. It could be a bowl of chocolate ice cream, right? That, that will totally take you to that place of happiness, right? So we wanna do that. For the next 10 seconds, just think, be honest with yourselves of what really makes you happy. Maybe the top three, top five things that make you really happy. Hopefully it's not the Jets winning a Super Bowl. That's a whole nother thing, right? That's fantasy, right? All right, what makes you happy? What really makes you happy? All right. You know, a Harvard psych professor performed a study centered around happiness in America. And this professor concluded that Americans are smiling less, are worrying more, more now than ever. Suicide rates are increasing. People are sleeping less. People are increasing bad habits. And anxiety and depression is on the rise. Today, church, I thought it'd be cool if we talked a little bit about happiness. Because if you're like me, enough is enough. I'm tired of basing my happiness on people or things or events that are just not doing it for me anymore. 
Now, the five laws of happiness that I want to talk about today, they're pretty universal, and they'll help you regardless of where you are spiritually, whether you've been following Jesus for 30 years or even on the fence with your faith. And the five things I'm going to talk about briefly are derived from a former pastor of Saddleback Church in California, Pastor Rick Warren. Now, understand, Rick and his wife lost their son a few years back. And he applies these habits each day to remain grounded, to remain sane, and to remain happy. So the first one is don't look for happiness, but rather create it. Don't look for happiness, but rather create it. True happiness is actually created. Happiness is more of a choice or a decision that is made. And we can be happy if we choose to be, regardless of our current situations or circumstances, whatever they may be. Don't look for happiness, but rather create it through your decision making, through your choices. The second one, happiness isn't a goal, but rather it's the result of right thinking, right living, and right behaving. Now, basically, happiness is a byproduct of doing the right stuff over and over and over again. And happiness, true happiness, begins internally before it gets manifest externally. Anybody know people who are overly concerned with being happy? Like, I just want to be, I'm doing this for my happiness, okay? It's about my happiness, right? People who are very self-centered, and if they're sitting next to you, don't nudge them, all right? This is a place of peace, okay? But self-centered people who are overly concerned about their own happiness are absolutely miserable people. Here's the third one. Happiness based on happenings is temporary. Happiness based on happenings is temporary. When your happiness is based on an event, your happiness will only last as long as that event is taking place. How many of you have been to Disney World by show of hands? How many of you regret going? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, Disney World is called the happiest place on earth, but really, I'd like to recall it, and probably any of you that have been there, the most expensive place on earth. Now, when you're at Disney World, you're having a great time. Kids are like, oh my gosh, I want that. Buy that, buy that, buy that. And you're like, swipe, 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 right? You know what I'm talking about, right? The credit card's just going nuts. Um, and you're having a good time. You're not thinking about it. It's all about the experience, right? And then... What happens when you get home, it's over. The happiness is gone and that first credit card bill comes and your prayer life changes, right? But the happiness basically only lasts as long as you're there. It's the same thing as when your happiness is based on happenings, happenings, right? As long as the happenings are happening, that's where your happiness happens. And then when it stops, it's over. Fourth one, your habits create your happiness. Your habits can actually create your happiness. Now think about this. If your happiness is tied to your thinking and your thinking is tied to your habits and your habits regulate your actions, then the right habits can go a long way to create happiness. Think about it, all right? If your happiness is tied to your thinking and your thinking is tied to your habits and your habits regulate your actions, then the right habits go a long way to create happiness in our lives. Last one, happy habits are just as addicting as bad habits. 
Happy habits are just as addicting as bad habits. We all know what bad habits are, right? Everybody has one, all right? And if you don't, I don't know. Pray for me, okay? Because you're angelic. But habits take a long time to develop, regardless if they're good or bad, right? And it will take work to develop happy habits. But once they become a part of your life, then happiness actually will be able to throw, flow through you much more freely. In the Bible, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Philippians regarding happiness. Now, this guy, Paul, had this radical conversion. And at the time that he writes this letter to the church in Philippi, he had been following Jesus for decades. Now, Paul went through some crazy things for the sake of spreading the gospel. Got beat up, shipwrecked, stoned, left for dead. And here is Paul at the end of his life writing to this church from a jail cell awaiting trial, awaiting execution. And he writes what many historians and theologians believe to be the most joyful pieces of literature of its day. I don't know about you, if I was in jail awaiting execution, I wouldn't be writing anything joyful. It'd be like, please help me now, get me out of here, something. But Paul had a different mentality. So today we're going to actually look at the habit of growing healthy and happy relationships. And if you're like me, when I asked you to, at the beginning of today's sermon to think about what truly makes you happy, maybe like me, you thought of an individual person or a group of people. And it's not just those, that person or those people, but it's how you relate to them and how they relate to you that truly creates the happiness. Philippians 1.1, Paul begins his letter to the church. He says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Verse 2, he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. Now understand, he's writing this from jail, awaiting his death. A lot of things he could have wrote. But he's writing to these people, and he's being thankful for them. I thank God every time I remember you. So the first key to growing a healthy relationship as it relates to happiness is to be grateful for the people in our lives. Study upon study shows a link between gratitude and happiness. People who are gracious or, or are thankful they actually have more energy, they have more optimism, they have more social connections. According to studies over the last decade, people who are grateful are less likely to be angry, less likely to be depressed, greedy, or anxious. People who are grateful earn more money, I'm just putting it out there, okay? They sleep more soundly, they exercise more readily, and are less prone to infection. So if you want to be healthier, more productive, and happier, experts say gratitude is one of the key ingredients, being thankful. Now, what Paul does at this letter, in the beginning of this letter, he starts it off with his gratitude towards this church. 
Now ask yourself this question. When you think about the people in your life, is your habit always to think about the positive things and be thankful for them? Or do you tend to think a little bit about the negative and think about the disappointments that they've made in your, in your life? You know what's crazy? As human beings, we tend to remember the negative stuff about people. The bad experience, the one time they told me off, the one time they didn't come through, right? When we think about all the negative stuff, it's hard to have gratitude. And here's the crazy thing, right? It could be like people in our lives that we've known for a long time, that we've loved and, and, and they've loved us, that maybe we've, we've cried on their shoulder, they've, they've been you know, with us through thick and thin, and then all it takes is that one time for them to mess up and then we're done with them. Don't call me ever again. You're dead to me. Unfollow me on all my social media accounts. I want nothing to do with you, right? We have those moments where we absolutely break ties off of one thing. And here's the crazy thing. The longer you know a person, it actually be harder to be grateful for them. Especially if they're really good, right? You begin to take the good things about that person, the good characteristics for granted. And they're already at a high level, right? So when they mess up, and because they're human, they will, it's actually a big deal. And you tend to forget all the good stuff. You need to develop a habit of remembering the good stuff and remembering and being thankful for the positive about people. Whether it's your parents, whether it's your children, especially if they're teenagers, right? Whether it's your boss. Remember, happiness is a choice. You choose to be happy. Now, there's always ups and downs in relationships. Married people, can I get an amen? I don't know, maybe some of y'all are in a down right now. Amen. I don't know. I don't want to say it too loud. We argued on the way to church. I don't know. Let's try it again. Married people, relationships are about ups and downs. Amen? There we go. There we go. We have to develop a habit of remembering the good stuff, being thankful for the good stuff, develop a selective memory, not necessarily forget all the bad stuff, but heighten the good stuff over that. A happy habit that we can produce, that we can practice is to remember the best in people and celebrate one another. Celebrate one another. We have an issue with celebrating one another. Think about it, when do we celebrate each other? Happy birthday, that's about it, right? But we need to be celebrating one another way more, especially in this season. Everybody's after each other today. If we just, especially as a community of faith, begin to celebrate each other just because God has a plan for our lives, just in doing that, happiness just begins to grow internally in each one of us, just to begin celebrating. Now, you specifically, Living Word Church, have a lot to celebrate here. And when I say what I'm about to say, y'all better stand up and scream and whistle. If y'all could do a backflip, do a backflip. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you need to understand that God's hand is over this church. God's hand, the creator of heaven and earth, is over this church. 
Here's one way that you can tell. Your pastor survived the pandemic. Your pastor is alive. Y'all better make some noise. Your pastor is alive. Celebrate that. Celebrate that. Don't forget the miracle that happened in Tug's life. Celebrate that constantly. The first habit that Paul modeled is to celebrate people and to pray with joy for the people in his life. Paul prayed for the Philippians with joy. Look, Philippians chapter 1, verse 4, he says this. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Paul is consistently praying for people in joy. He's excited that God's at work in people's lives. Even if there's stuff going on in his life, stuff going on in their lives, he, he knows that God is always at work. And so there's always joy expected when he prays. Y'all know that prayer brings change, amen? Oh, oh. Prayer brings change, amen? amen? Y'all better act like you know up in here. Wow. But often when we pray for others, especially others that we are burdened by, we don't pray with joy or thanksgiving. I'll be honest. When I'm struggling with a relationship with someone, I don't say, God, thank you for them. Thank you how they hurt me so much, right? Like, thank you for all the lies that they told on me. I love that, right? We don't do that. We don't, we, we don't pray with thanksgiving. Especially if it's like a, someone you're having issues with. Think about it, like a boss. I'm struggling with my relationship with my boss. Dear God, please, please, please. Either get my boss another job or get me out of here. Like, I can't do this, right? We, we don't pray with thanksgiving and joy, especially in tense situations with other people. But prayer goes beyond the barriers of this world. It not only changes circumstances or situations, but prayer changes us. And as we begin to pray for people and things that are going on around us, we begin to transform from the inside out. And as we pray for people, we actually begin to see people the way that Jesus sees them. And that's why it's so important, why it's a command for us to pray for our enemies. Some of you are like, maybe, I don't know. Like, I ain't got a lot of enemies. Yeah, you do. You know, all of us got some issues with people. And Jesus tells us that it's not like an option. As followers of Jesus, we are commanded to pray for our enemies. That means that we're supposed to pray for those that steal, that lie, that talk about you behind your back. Not only are we just supposed to pray for them, right? We're supposed to pray with joy and thanksgiving. Some of you are like, Ray, I had you until now. We're supposed to pray with joy and thanksgiving. And some of you are thinking like, oh, well, how do you do that? Check this out. Look what Paul does, verses 9 through 11. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
If you don't know what to pray for somebody, especially if there's issues, just read this. Make it your prayer. Take Paul's words and apply it. The quickest way to change a relationship that's going through tense, tension that is bad into good, begin praying for them. And as you pray for them, the change that needs to happen begins in you first. And what I've learned, right, is that big changes take time in relationships. We often pray for a situation that's going on between us and someone else, and, and we hope and believe, and we want to see the outward results happen immediately. Like, as soon as we say amen, we want it to be all good. And unfortunately, if it doesn't happen that way, we feel like God has failed us. Or maybe we need to do more. And in the end, we end up reverting back to our previous way of thinking and operating. See, praying for change isn't an event, but rather it's a process. It's a lifestyle. Paul continues in his prayer, verse 6. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a, work, a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Think about praying that for someone you're going through a situation with. Being confident is that he who began a good work in you, that God has a good plan in you, even though I don't see it right now, right? Or maybe you don't see it right now, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, that God is up to something and something good in each one of us, even though there's some negativity going on, God is up to something good. And when we pray that way, we can be confident in people. We can be confident in what God's plan is for their lives because God has a plan for everyone. So the question is, when we're having issues with people, do we build them up or do we tear them down? And the way we behave will determine how healthy our relationships are and how happiness is produced from them. Now, parents, this is a huge concept regarding our kids. How we respond to their failures screams thousands of times louder than how we respond to their success. And Paul expected the best out of people, but also was patient with them. He understood that to be the best, right, that it takes time. He's saying that the work that started in you, carry it to completion. That means that you're not there yet. Be patient. You're going to have ups and downs, but don't lose focus. Now, patience is really important in healthy relationships. Without patience in relationships, you basically have war. It's just not going to happen. So we need to have that. Now, here's the biggest thing. If you're like me, maybe when you had that opportunity at the beginning of the sermon to think about things that make you happy, things that bring you joy, maybe you thought about aspects of God. And then in that list, as it went on, there were other things that happened, right? Other things that came to your mind, which is nothing wrong with that. Like, that's all good. We're human. We're going to have human interactions and human things that happen on this earth that bring us joy. My question is this, though, and I've been extremely challenged by this. 
personally. As followers of Jesus, it's so important that we find our joy in Christ and in Christ alone. Everything in this world is fleeting. Everything. And if we place our joy in Christ and in something else, we are setting ourselves up to be sad and angry followers of Jesus. John 16, says this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Some of y'all just need to read that sentence, right? Some of y'all live in that sentence right now, right? In this world you will have trouble. Can't escape it. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And in that statement and in that statement alone, that is where our joy needs to be found. I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now. You know, it's not often that as pastors we feel the liberty to be like completely open and honest. But for me, um, I have to be absolutely honest with this, even as I was preparing this message, I struggled. I had to ask myself, do I actually believe what I'm about to speak? I struggle in this area of my life, finding joy in Christ alone. Even placing my trust in Christ alone. Like, I pray when I go through things, like we all do as followers of Jesus, but then there's always that plan B that seems to come up out of nowhere. So my question for all of us today, is: do we find joy in Christ and in Christ alone? I'm going to be completely even real honest. I mean, I'm a pastor, but I'm also a husband. I'm a father. I'm a follower of Jesus. This is real. I don't know if you're like me and enough is enough. You're tired of putting your faith in God and in something else. You're tired of trying to find joy in something else. It just keeps coming and going and you just feel like your feet aren't on the ground when it comes to your emotions. Life is hard. We will have trouble. But Jesus reminds us, take heart, that he has overcome the world. He has overcome death itself. And that, and in that alone, that is where we're supposed to find our joy. But we struggle. We struggle with that. So here's what I'm about to do. Worship team, you can come on up. I'm not going to pray for you. I'm going to pray with you. 
I'm going to pray with you. So if you are with me and you're struggling in this area as well, uh, placing your faith in Christ and Christ alone, finding joy in Christ and Christ alone, I'm going to ask you to come up front. Come on up front. Once again, I'm not coming from a place of an area that I've, I've won this. Let me show you how to do it. No. I'm like you. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. Trying to figure this stuff out. And if you want to get real with where you're at right now, in your faith and in your joy, I invite you to come on up. Enough is enough. If you're tired of living that, that emotional roller coaster, if my kids are good, then I'm happy. If my marriage is great, then I'm happy. And then when challenge comes in those areas, you're, you're all over the place. There will be trouble in this world. Jesus' reminder to each one of us today as his children is that he has overcome the world. And to take heart. Take heart. To believe that. To have joy in that. I'm going to invite you one more time. If you're here, even young people, man, teenagers, you guys have it absolutely rough. If you're here today and you're a young person and maybe you're facing tension with your parents or tension at school, or even in, in your own self, just so much is on you. You feel like there's just a lot on your shoulders. I invite you up in this moment. We'll pray too. Once again, I'm praying with you. I ain't praying for you. Because at the end of the day, I am a follower of Jesus, just like you all, trying to do this thing called following him. Come on down. Come on. Come on down. It's just a moment. Just a moment. Just a moment. Just a moment. I'm with you guys. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. All right. So here's what's going to happen. I'm actually going to jump off this stage, and we're going to pray together, all right? Pray I don't hurt myself first, all right? Let me jump down with you. All right. So uh, everyone who's up here, and even those if you're back there, you want to pray with us, I ask that you just extend your hands forward like you're receiving something in your hands. Jesus, we thank you for these authentic moments. This is the stuff that you desire from us. Being real, being honest, exposing our brokenness to you so that you may heal it. 
So God, right now, I just take a moment along with my brothers and sisters in faith, and we just say we're sorry. Forgive us, God. Forgive us, God, for not fully stepping into the invitation to trust you and you alone. Forgive us for the areas of our lives where we put more faith in ourselves or more faith in other people or or things, God, to work out and not trusting that you completely are in control. God, forgive us for not finding our complete joy in the fact that we can call ourselves sons and daughters of the living God. That there's other stuff that we throw into that, God, fleeting things that are here today and gone tomorrow, God. So we ask right now in the name of Jesus for your forgiveness, God. And now we ask, Lord, through your power and through your presence of the Holy Spirit, God, for your power, your power, Lord, to completely trust you. We can't do it on our own, Lord. We need assistance from the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us towards you. God, may we have eyes to see where you're at work in our lives even in the midst of the trouble, God, to know that without a shadow of a doubt, you're with us and you are for us and you will bring us through and that we can find joy just in that and that alone. So God, right now, I come against any person right now, any spirit that's negative right now that's just been overshadowing anybody that is up here, Lord. Just this darkness that's been over some of us that are up here, God, I come against it right now, Lord. And we say, Lord, let your light shine right now, God. Let your joy shine. Renew us, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity. And most of all, we are thankful for you. Bless us today, Lord. In Jesus' name, the entire church said, Amen, amen, amen.